0: Good morning. Good to to have you this morning. If you're new here this morning, we want to just extend a really uh, extra welcome. We're grateful that you came this morning, that you chose to worship with us. Um, We uh, consider that an honor. Or if you joined us online as well, same there. We hope to see you face-to-face one day. But um, we are grateful, always grateful, to get new folks. If you're looking for a church home, we really hope you might find one here but if you don't find one here or you feel like this is just isn't where God is leading you, just know that there are a number of fantastic churches here in Sheridan that we're blessed to have, and it's our heart that you find a church home. So here we are, and um, we are continuing through 1 Peter, and actually we're going to finish 1 Peter today, and then we're going to go on to 2 Peter from there. But today we've just talked about this idea of being kind of aware and empowered um, in our walk. And so 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14, it just kind of uh, gets us started this way. It says, to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So it's this call that says, look, there's a reality in the world that you live in. There is a spiritual reality in each and every one of our lives, and that reality is that there is an enemy, there is an adversary here, and this adversary roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. So imagine if there really was a lion, like somewhere around, in the halls, in the closet, outside. We don't know but there's a reality that there's a lion, right? Now how would that fundamentally begin to change the way that you approached life? How would that fundamentally change the way that you thought as you went out and did whatever you did or, or, or with our children or any of these kinds of things? You see, the, 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 it, it says to be sober-minded. It means, you know, the, the idea, it's versus being intoxicated or enthralled with something. It's to, it's to have a right frame of mind, a reality, and to live in that place. Because there is an enemy out there that really wants to see the destruction of humanity, basically. I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's not this concept where God is getting his team and, and the devil's getting his team and then they're gonna war it out or something like that. It doesn't work like that. You see, the devil's not a team player. The devil hates you. And the reason that the devil hates you and all of humanity is because we're created in the very image of God, that we're the object of God's affection, that God loves us, desires relationship for us. Therefore, he wants to destroy people. His real plan, the best plan he has, is if he can use your life to destroy as many relationships around you prior to that and affect uh, just negative Uh, reactions all around us. So the call is to be sober-minded, to be right-minded, to be watchful, to realize the reality of this and to begin to live like this is our reality. It says that he would like to devour you. And in the Greek, that means to devour you, it means to gulp you all the way down kind of a thing. And so, so we want to be a people who are mindful, not a people who are fearful, and we're going to get into that. This isn't about being afraid. This is about being aware. You see, he's like a lion, and, and we're going to talk about that, but, but he's, he, he's, he's boisterous. He's, he's got all of these different things. He's got tactics, and there's the reality that we have to be aware of. John eight forty four. 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this enemy that we're looking at is is a liar that when he speaks, the very nature, the very character of who this enemy is, is about deception. It's about lies. It's about taking... And, and twisting what's true out there. You see, and, and the reality of a good lie, if I'm gonna tell you a lie, and I want you to believe it, the reality of that lie is that it's gonna have to contain mainly truth, right? Because if I just go off on some tangent, and all I do is twist every aspect of truth that's out there, you'll go, oh, try. Come on, are you kidding, really? But, but if my lie is, has enough truth in it that I can make you begin to challenge you with, is it really true? And I think that, that's, that that is the challenge for the church today, is to begin to look into the culture around us and say, is that really true? Is that really true? Is that really working? Is that really pro- proving to be true? Is that really bringing positive change into the world around us? C.S. Lewis said this in the Screwtape Letter. says, uh, which is a great read if you've never read it, but, but he's talking, this is an uncle screw tape, and he's, he's, he's mentoring his, his, uh, his nephew, Wormwood, in the ways of deceiving humans. And he says, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. So many times it's, it's this idea, of course, he's a liar, he's a fear monger, um, but, but he, he begins to, to have even an internal dialogue with us. Now, don't get me wrong here. Satan does not have access. He's not, he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not all places. <clears throat> but he rents space in our head at times because we begin to believe things around us that fundamentally aren't exactly true. Maybe there's been things that have spoken over us. And this is where I say that culturally, what, is, what does the enemy want to come against? Well, we're going to talk about it, but part of that is he's going to come against relationships. He's going to come against families, right? He's going to at times have words spoken by those who, who love us or, um, and are supposed to nurture us, that, that the reality of our lives is at times that, that words have been spoken over us that shouldn't have been, words that weren't true. Words that were lies, but words that stuck and have an impression in us. Words that when we look in the mirror in the mornings, we begin to to see a distorted figure of who we really are. So the only way to the truth and the only way out of some of those distortions and some of those deceptions is to, to begin to understand what does God really say about me? Because what God fundamentally has to say about you and me is the ultimate reality. It is the source of truth. It's the thing that we must believe about ourselves. And the reason we must believe the truth about ourselves is because you'll treat yourself the way you believe yourself to be. You'll allow into your life things according to how you see yourself and what you think you're worthy of. But see, that's why God calls us holy, blameless, beyond reproach, that we're a new creation, that the old is gone and that the new has come. And so it's really important to begin to live into this, to believe this, and to know this. Goes on to say, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him, push back against, begin to push back against the things. And what are the things that we have to push back against? Well, one thing is just distraction. The enemy comes, just like he says, it's, it's not just murder. It doesn't have to be murder, it could be cards. If cards get the trick done. What's his focus? What does he want to do to believers? Well, he wants to take your eye off of God. He wants to take your eye off of the prize. He wants to to get us to begin to believe that the reason that we're here is for temporal stuff and to wrap us up in our mind and our affection and our attention, our treasure. All of these things begin to be um, into these objects of affection that we tend to have. And God is saying, look, don't get distracted. There are a lot of things out there that are great things, but they have to have their right place in our lives. And when they lose their right place in our lives, they become idols in our lives. And then they take on a a place where they just draw us away from the good thing that God has for us. You see, God has a plan for each and every person here. God has has a a plan for his church, for this church here in, in this community. And so it's really necessary That we become a people that have kind of a laser focus about what is life about what is the church and why is the church even here why do i come to church because see we come to church right you bring church here you are the church if you're in christ you're the church and we assemble here to encourage one another to grow with one another and to deepen our relationships together why so that we might be stronger out there so that we might be equipped, so that we might be ready, so that we might go out into the world without a distraction, but knowing that the ultimate reality is eternity. And, and, and to live our lives and have our focus towards that. The other thing he's gonna do is bring division. He's bringing division into the church in a huge way, massive way right? All of the different things that we're going through, political divisions, uh, divisions on health things and orders and masks and all of these different things have caused so much division within the church. The the talking heads out there say one in five churches aren't going to survive this whole thing. Crazy. One in four people aren't coming back to church. So there's just division that is happening and he's always sowing seeds of division. This is why the Bible is always saying, you know, to, that, that love covers a multitude of sin, right? Love doesn't expose. We don't point fingers. We, we, wanna, we wanna let that cover. And, and we wanna also understand that we need to be patient with one another. We need to be respectful of one another. We need to understand that within this room is, is represented such diversity, such different thoughts, such different places in life. And that's the beauty of the church. But what the enemy wants to do is to get us off and alone and separate. Why? Because we're less effective, because we're less effective when we're away from one another. Community is what we need. He's going to discourage us. He's going to bring discouragement into our lives and, and, and just say, oh, just, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all going the wrong way, or it's too late, or, or, or it's too late for me, or maybe I'm too old, or, or I've done too much. I went too far. I promise you, you, you're not the only person who just went that far outside of God's grace or his power or his plans for your life. He's the redeemer and everything that we give back to him, he makes good with. You see, there's no reason for anybody in the church to be discouraged because the, the, the ultimate message of the Bible is that God wins, right? He wins, regardless of what we see today, regardless of what we go through ever, that God is gonna win. And our job, the beauty of our job, the job that has been given to Christians is that we're just supposed to make disciples. Doesn't matter what's happening out there. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Our job description is simple and it's consistent and it never ever changes. It's to go and share the hope that's within us. So it begins with the the enemy uses deception and he brings that into the culture and then the culture begins to believe that and we we need to understand and know the lie by studying the truth. It's imperative that you're in God's word. It's imperative that you know what God's word is. Because if you're going to be somebody who is going to pick out counterfeit $100 bills, you, you learn what they look like by studying the actual $100 bills, by getting to know them so well that when one that's counterfeit comes your way, you're just like, no, that's not it. And, and so so we have to know this and we have to understand that we are living in a in a, in a Culture that's incredibly deceived and getting more deceived by the day. What the enemy wants to do is destroy God's institutions, marriage, the church. He wants to throw confusion into areas of of sexuality and all kinds of things. But you see, we are to be a people who stand on his truth and believe firmly in the new creation that God makes all things new, that if we stand firm in this, that God is the God of life, that he is the God of order, that he is the one who knows how to do these things. It talks about resisting um, here in, uh, in Ephesians 6, and it talks about this in the armor of God, and it says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth and having put it on the breastplate of righteousness. It's this idea of, of, of standing, of resisting. And, and it happens by, again, think of it, if, there was, if we really believe that there was a battle out there and there was a pile of armor for us to put on, how many of you would just be like, nah, I'm good. I don't really need any of that bulletproof stuff. I'm just going to run out there bullets going everywhere. No, you're gonna put everything on, right? And think about this, it starts with the, breast, with, the, with the belt of truth. And everything in a Roman centurion's armor belted back to that place of truth. His breastplate of righteousness, his, everything went back, his greaves that he wore, his sandals, everything everything had a connection. His sword was in this belt of truth. So truth has to be central in our lives. And it says to stand firm, to stand. You and I, I think sometimes we want to take ground, but Jesus takes ground. Jesus is the one who takes ground on our behalf. He's the one who changes our life. He's the one who who empowers us. It's his spirit that changes life. and, and, And he's not calling you to go out there and take a bunch of ground. You know what he's calling you to do? He's calling you to surrender harder to him that his life might be lived more through you that more ground might be taken by him in, in your sphere of influence, and then you stand on that. You, you stand in that place. We don't back up. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to get pushed back. We just stand in what's true and what's good and what God has called us to stand in. Peter goes on to say, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is this is this concept of grace. And, and grace is this amazing thing. See, grace isn't just a covering. The, the church, I think, has relegated the idea and the concept of grace to just saying that grace is what covers sin. And certainly grace does cover sin, undoubtedly. But grace doesn't stop there. Grace doesn't just cover sin. Grace empowers us to live the life that God has called us to live. It gives us the power to actually, to to push back, to stand firm in the ground that he's taken on our behalf and in our lives. Grace is what gives us the power to stand there. It's what gives us the power to, to move forward, to, to stand in the culture and in the world around us. I want to I read just a few of these things really quick. Cause Just a couple of uh, some articles that popped up this last week on, on the homepages. Listen to these, um, to these uh, headlines. Uh, Christianity has become linked to white nationalism. White American Christianity needs to be honest about its history of white supremacy. White Christian radicalization is a violent threat. Trump's Christian supporters in the march on the Capitol. The ferocious last gasps of the religion of Christian America. These are things that are just headline news right now. And, and you know, there are things that, that, that um, aren't total lies in those things. But, but those things are very much twisted. That is not the nature of the church. The church is not that. And the church has not been that. As a matter of fact, the biblical principles that we stand on made this nation a great place. And it was the church that brought the educational systems into this country, that, made pro- that, that built hospitals, that pro- provided for the poor, that, that did these different things. But you see, the church, I think we've relegated everything about being the church to the government. We, we gave our job out. And I think that it's really time that the church begins to, to reestablish, to re-understand what it is and where we're at, who we are, because we've been called to this world to make a difference. We've been called to outlove the degree of hate that's, that's brought our way, the, the, the amount of misunderstanding that's brought our way. We're supposed to outlove all of that. We're supposed to love so well that accusations couldn't really be brought against us. We need to be a church that is so involved in our community, both individually as we go out of here and corporately together, that accusations and charges can't be brought against us because they'd have to they have to just say it just doesn't match up. Yeah, we say this about the church, but it doesn't match up because this isn't who the church is. The church, the church, I love the church and I'm, and I'm really getting tired of, some of the things that are being brought against the church. Goes on to finish, it says that by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. It's not like we don't have a place to to stand. We stand in this grace, the grace that's been given to us and the grace that we now freely extend to others, knowing that it's this that empowers us see, the only way that we can stand in some of these issues is, do you really believe that Jesus changes lives? Do you really believe that fundamentally he takes what used to be and recreates it into something completely new? And he empowers anybody who's struggling with whatever thing to deal with that. The day that I quit believing that's the day I go to the mountain every weekend. I'm not coming on Sunday if I don't believe that. If I don't believe that Jesus changed his lives... There's no reason for me to be here or to stand up here. I'd have nothing to say. I'd have absolutely nothing to say if I didn't believe that. And so look at this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, it's grace that empowers us. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Oops. The Westminster Confession of 1646, on the matter of grace, they write, when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. And so this enemy, this lion, He's a toothless lion. He's a defeated lion. He's already been defeated. We, we are, are attacked by a defeated foe. But there's a greater lion that's out there. Revelation 5.5, 5, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to be able to open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, Jesus is this lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who will establish all righteousness on the earth. He is the one who, who, when he roars, all of the nations will bow, right? That every person on earth will, will bow before him and will acknowledge from their mouth that he's the king of kings, that he's the Lord of lords, that he's exactly who he said he will be. He is the one who will one day make all things right. And he's the one that we look to. But he's the one who gave himself. He gave himself for humanity that we might not be lost in deception. That we might not be lost in distraction. That we might not be lost in the sin that so easily engulfs and entangles us, his word says. He's given us a way out. And he's given the church the duty, the privilege to be the agent by which God wants to affect change in the world Around us goes on to say she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son, greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. can you hear the community I love when they end these the 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 epistles like this when Paul or whoever's writing it or Peter in this case is is just saying yeah and just you got Mark over here and you know and and, and oh man just give us you know tell them hi tell them hi from us and it is this idea of community that they were in it together and if we're in it separate we'll be completely ineffective we have to grow in community together we have to grow in relationship to one another 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hebrews eleven thirty two 32 to 34, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. This is the the job of the church. The job of the church is to, is to affect change in the culture and in the world around us, to live in such a way that Those who are outside of the doors would say, man, what would it look like to be a part of that? I want to be a part of that. Sinful people rushed to Jesus. They came to him. They were attracted to him. We have to be an attractive church. I want to go back through the whole book, and I'm just going to give you my my quick uh, overview. Chapter one, don't allow your present circumstances to shape you. Let the promises of God and the inheritance of eternity override any anxiety and fear. You are so valuable that your creator bought you, not with cheap temporal stuff like silver or gold, but with his own blood. Live like you've been purchased. Chapter two, remember God dwells in you, and you are together being built into a greater temple. And Jesus is the cornerstone. You are the church. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Entrust yourselves to the one who judges righteously. Chapter three, ladies, seek inner beauty. It's who you really are. And be careful with the power you wield. Live in humility and submission. Men, fight the right battle. Be careful with the power you wield. Live in humility and submission. Do this so that you may all live in harmony. When the world curses you, get back at them by blessing them. If you suffer, suffer for what's right. Time is short, chapter four. Time is short. Don't live for the things of the world, but live for the things of God. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Use the gifts you have been given to bless the church and glorify Christ. Do this so that the world might know and see Jesus in us. If you suffer, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And chapter five, leaders, your job is great and comes with much responsibility. Do it eagerly, with diligence and joy. Let people see your leadership through your life. Be careful with the power you wield. In humility and submission, be accountable before God. Don't live in anxiety, it is not yours to carry. Be alert, know the schemes of the enemy. He wants to devour, but faith causes him to turn tail and run, be the church. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this day. I thank you for the church. I thank you that you have made us beautiful and and you've done that because you are a great God, because you love us so much, because you purchased us, because it was your desire to have a relationship with us. Lord, we don't always get that or understand that, and we don't know, Lord, why you've given us such um, a wonderful charge in this world, an amazing privilege that you've given us to to go and to tell about you and about truth, to help people to live in the fullness of the life and to to live in the way that you've created them to live. So, Lord, we just wanna be a people and a church that trust and know that your, your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. And we acknowledge that you're the creator of all things, and in you is all power and all dominion forever and forever. But Lord, we thank you that you've given us purpose. So Lord, may each person here, it's my deepest prayer that we would each find the purpose that you have for us this week, that we would be on purpose and looking for what you have for us, that we would be on mission this very week because there's a world that so desperately needs to know you. It desperately needs to know your truth. Lord, we, just, we've, we feel the, the tension of the world, Lord, and we're excited because we know that when there's tension in the world and around us, and in our, even in our own little circles, that Lord, that you do mighty things in those times. It's, it's, it's the hard times that make the greatest difference. And so, Lord, may we be willing to experience some difficulty for your kingdom, And for your purpose, in Jesus' name, amen.